0: So how do we establish accountability and order in the church, in parts of the church where
1: there seems to be none?
0: Can leaders be trusted? Can spiritual leaders be trusted? Can pastors be trusted? Is there accountability? Are there standards? Are people living by the Word? What if they're not? How do we deal with it? Friends, these are pressing issues in the church today, issues that I'm right in the thick of myself as we talk with other leaders and do our best to bring accountability and hold up standards and we felt that it would be important to devote a broadcast right at the beginning of the year to the subject. This is Michael Brown. You have tuned in to the Line of Fire broadcast. If you have a question that relates to this in the charismatic world, in the larger world of non-denominational churches within a denomination, how accountability functions, what should be expected of leaders, by all means, give us a call. 866 truth eight six six three four eight seven eight eight four 348 7884 Last week, a panel issued a statement—I oversaw the panel but was not on it—issued a statement concerning the ministry of Todd Bentley, an investigation that had gone on regarding many accusations that had been brought against his ministry— I then issued a statement after that, explaining my own role, and tonight on Facebook, on our Ask Dr. Brown Facebook channel, doing my best to bring the Father's heart in the most redemptive way possible, I'm going to answer some questions relative to that and give us the ability to move forward in a godly way. On today's broadcast, though, I want to look at some broader issues, and I could think of no better person to have on the air with me today than my friend, Dr. Joseph Matera, He has been a respected pastor for many years in Brooklyn, a respected city leader in the church, but then beyond that, a national and international leader and author, also engaged in leadership training around the world. So without further ado, Joe, great to have you back on the air. Thanks for joining us today.
2: Well, Dr. Brown, it's a pleasure to be with you. You're doing such a great job. Thank you.
0: Well, thanks so much. Uh, How long have you been burdened and concerned about the issues of accountability and standards in, in Christian leadership?
2: Well, you know, since I started traveling a lot in the early 90s, my concerns got greater because I saw how certain churches were run and how other you know, ministers were doing things without any kind of accountability. Um, but my concerns have heightened, in the last several years with the advent of the privation of hyper grace teaching which seems to have made matters much worse um, with people thinking they could live in sin intentionally instead of just falling now they're intentionally sinning and thinking that they can continue to minister and/ or you know be a Christian and just quickly you know just like ask forgiveness and and then you know, everything will be fine, and then they continue on and sin. So my concerns have been heightened lately.
0: Right. So it's one thing to have non-accountable leaders, and as independent church networks have been birthed, as many people have felt called by God to plant churches and do new works and things like that, you have the potential of unaccountability, that a pastor is kind of the head and the chief and the end all. And maybe he has a board and he has the power to dismiss that board so what if he falls into sin what if there are financial issues sexual issues different things how are they dealt with but then you add in beyond that in charismatic circles often we can hide behind the anointing look at how god uses me look at the gift operating in me uh how can you question me and then you add in doctrinal error of hyper grace so that hey we're forgiven we just keep going forward So it is a serious situation. Let's, Joe, focus for a moment on within the charismatic movement. How is it possible that perhaps we who are charismatic Pentecostal believe in the gifts and power of the Spirit today can can hide behind the gift and the anointing and use that in an abusive way?
2: Sure. Well, that's nothing new. We see in 1 Corinthians, Paul told them in the first chapter that this church came behind in no gift. And he also said, though, that they were carnal in chapter 3, that they were like babes in Christ. So even though, evidently, they operated in all the nine gifts of the manifestations of the Spirit, as is elucidated in First Corinthians 12, um, he had to devote a whole chapter to love, to walking in love, which means that just because somebody could prophesy, heal the sick, and have faith that moves mountains, It doesn't mean that they're walking in holiness. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, If I do all these things but have not love, I am nothing. So God could anoint somebody um, because the gifts and calling of God are without repentance, it tells us in Romans 11. But it doesn't mean that God is pleased with that person and, and that that person is actually walking with the Lord.
0: Right. So you can be perhaps like Samson and have a supernatural gift, but if the character is not right, if they're not right structures of accountability among other leaders and things like that, the gift could potentially destroy you and destroy others. And yet in the midst of it, you say, hey, touch not the anointed. You know, I have a healing ministry, a prophetic ministry. How dare you question me? But uh, standards of leadership are there for a reason. Why would you say First 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, some of the classic passages about standards for New Testament leaders. Why did Paul put those in place? Why are they so important?
2: Well, there had to be a pattern of living, which goes along with a pattern of good doctrine, and that's all in the pastoral epistles of 1 Timothy, Titus, and 2 Timothy. And those patterns for living, um, which have to do with character, and have to do with managing one's own household well, Um, have to be in place because the Church is a family of families, and if we have leaders that are not managing their houses well, are committing adultery, constantly abusing others, losing their temper, um, then what's going to happen is we are going to be modeling a dysfunctional family that is going to proliferate through the Church, and every new person that comes into the Church and everybody we disciple will mimic our behavior. So if the foundation is faulty, the whole building is going to be built the wrong way. And that's why it's so imperative that the leaders walk in a standard of righteousness that is clearly laid out. It doesn't mean that they don't sin. It means that they are not intentionally living uh, in a habit pattern of sin. There's a difference there. Everybody sins, but not everybody is intentionally living in a habit pattern of sin.
0: So what do you say to those who say, hey, look, I'm forgiven through the cross, and you're just being a legalist and a Pharisee, and and you're throwing stones at people, the very thing Jesus said not to do? How do you respond to that?
2: Well, look, I mean, we are saved by grace, not by works, but this is not talking about salvation. This is talking about what Paul said in Ephesians 4, before he got into the fivefold ministry of apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, and evangelist— In Ephesians 4.11, he framed that discussion by saying, in verse 1 of chapter 4, that we have to walk worthy of the calling with which we have been called. This has nothing to do with salvation. It has to do with, after we're saved, to walk in a certain way uh, according to the assignment we have in God. So we have to walk worthy of the calling, not worthy of salvation.
0: Now, Joe, you don't only engage in teaching and preaching around the world and leadership training, but you've pastored for for decades. So you're dealing with everyday life, with moms and dads, with singles, with with young people, with older people, and you've seen a lot of things firsthand. Uh, Your average congregant doesn't realize how much a pastor gets hit with because all the problems and needs and issues get thrown on the pastor and people look to you, you know, a suicide in the family, the cancer diagnosis, a financial crisis... They're calling, they're needing prayer, they're needing help. That means that over the years, you must have seen people who were terribly hurt by sin among leaders, by abusive leaders and things like that. Can you just paint a picture of what happens when, when leaders abuse or misuse the authority that God's given them, what the repercussions could be? Sure.
2: Yeah, I have a book called Poisonous Power. It's 250 pages, and it's devoted totally to dysfunctional leadership, which includes abusive leadership, and it wrecks havoc in the church because uh, people look to you uh, as almost like a spiritual parent, and when you don't walk uh, in a manner worthy of the calling and you abuse that calling, whether it be using your title to try to have a sexual relationship with a woman if you're a man leader and you're trying to counsel somebody but you wind up using that position to have sex or to uh, control or to manipulate, um, eventually people are going to blame the whole church and leave the church and maybe even wind up blaming God. So it, it just is it just destroys the faith of many. It's crazy.
0: Yeah, so so We've we've all seen this, where a leader sins against a congregant, takes advantage of a congregant, whatever the case is, and that person doesn't end up just leaving the church, but they leave the Lord. They, they, their whole faith in God is, is shattered. So there's great responsibility for leaders. The book, friends, Poisonous Power, we had Joe on to talk about it when it came out. I was looking at the cover of it just now before he raised it and just posted it in our YouTube chat and, and on Twitter. Why did you feel the need to write the book now?
2: Well, I wrote the book because I really felt like if we don't have transformed leaders, how are we going to transform culture? And I felt like the Church was missing the call to personal piety. And I'm not saying we shouldn't focus on cultural transformation, but if we just focus on cultural transformation but we don't care about our personal walk with God— then what good is it? We're going to convert people or even Christianize a nation to what? Carnality? Uh, We'll be no different than just another political party if that's all we do. And so we have to be really, really careful that we don't neglect God as our Lord, our personal Lord, uh, because we're so active and busy. And sometimes we think the means justifies the end. And we think, well, I'll use this guy or use this one or use another one until I can, you know, accomplish my goals, Uh, and then we forget about the person. We just use them for their gifts, their money, their influence. And I believe that God values people more than programs. He values the men more than the ministry. And sometimes God will remove someone from ministry, because He loves them so much, He doesn't want their ministry to be their God, to be their mistress, or to be something that captivates their heart so much that it destroys them because they they're lifted up with pride and so we have to always put the people before the program.
0: Mm. Those are some pretty intense words friends I hope you caught them a lot more to come with Dr. Joseph Matera his most relevant book on the subject today Poisonous Power we'll take some calls when we come back too.
1: It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown.
0: Thanks, friends, for joining us today on this important Line of Fire broadcast. As we talk about leadership standards in the body, the need for accountability in the body, if you have a question about this, by all means, give us a call, 866-34-TRUTH. And then tonight at 8 o'clock Eastern Standard Time on Facebook at the Ask Dr. Brown Facebook page, ASKDR Brown, I'll be doing a live chat just giving a father's heart perspective on what happened with the Todd Bentley investigation, answering some relevant questions, but everything we do will be redemptive so that we can constructively move forward. And again, the book that I highly recommend in the context of these issues is Joseph Matera, M A T T E R A, poisonous power. So, Joe, what do we do in a situation where you have lots of independent churches through a region? I'm not saying it's wrong to have independent churches. Uh, neither of us are Catholic or Greek Orthodox or something. We're submitted to a, a worldwide system. But how can we constructively, as leaders in a city, bring greater accountability, greater fellowship. Is there a plan, a method, or is it all just kind of random and do the best we can?
2: Yeah, well, I I think anybody who's independent is out of order. Um, so I think what we need is interdependence, whether that's from a denomination or an informal network or a more formal network. I think we all need each other, and um, and so we lead something called the United States Coalition of Repstock Leaders, and that's an interdependent group of leaders who work together and who support each other. And I lead another coalition called Christ Covenant Coalition that does the same thing at a more local level. And so uh, even though we're not a denomination, we're not independent, we're interdependent. And I believe that when leaders isolate themselves, it just gets too lonely and too difficult to deal with all of the pressures whether it is marital pressures, family pressures, just spiritual warfare, dealing with budgets, real estate. I mean, it's just so hard. And so throughout the years, we've done regular pastor's prayer meetings. I have a monthly Zoom call for high-level leaders. Uh, we pray for each other. We check in. Uh, we do retreats. We have uh, roundtables and, and various things like that. And I think that everybody needs to connect to a group, a network, Uh, You can be a part of a denomination with a lot of systems, like, look at the Roman Catholic Church. It doesn't mean that it prevents people from sinning. At the end of the day, uh, you could have someone praying with you every morning, but it's up to you to divulge your heart and to be transparent. And many people have the systems in place, the people in place, the friends in place, even in networks. But they're still going astray, because... You, as an individual, are responsible to confess your faults to one another, it says in James, to receive prayer so we could be healed, and not everybody does that.
0: All right, so let's just think this through for a minute, all right? Let's say that you are the leader of a ministry, and uh, let's say you're a man leading a ministry, you're pretty well known, but you've been struggling with pornography, all right? Now you think to yourself okay i i 'm just going to have to get victory over this with, with jesus' help i I know i 'm more than the conqueror and, and and this is beneath me and and I, I know the power of the Holy Spirit can help me to overcome so i 'm just going to get victory over this and and because i can 't tell anyone because if I tell anyone then they they might think that it 's even worse or or maybe my board would find out or my supporters would find out or my parishioners would find out or and so i 'm just going to have to overcome this and fix this on my own and <clears throat> and and then if it gets a little worse, okay, I'm, I'm struggling even more, but if I tell anyone then bad things are going to happen, people have doubtless been in struggles like that. What would you tell someone, a pastor leader, that's in that very situation now, and they're afraid to be transparent, they're afraid to do what you're saying, what would you tell them?
2: Well, you know, there are Christian counselors who have confidentiality clauses that they're not allowed to breach. So there's no excuse for not getting help. Uh, my friend Paul Van Valen leads Eden Counseling Center in Virginia and he can help people and he's on our Apostolic Council. There are so many like him and then there should be people that you're walking with, peers or uh, some kind of uh, spiritual father or mother that can help you and keep things in confidence. At the same time you should be willing to be stepped down and or take a sabbatical or a period of restoration. Um, and if you're afraid for somebody who's an overseer to tell you that, then you're putting yourself before your family, your walk with God, and your ministry. So at the end of the day, you've got to be willing to submit, even if it's going to be painful.
0: Yeah, and, and I'm so glad that, that you said that. So one, help is available, and, and two, our relationship with God, our walk with God, is more important than ministry and anything else. And the whole idea, well, if, if I mess up and I step down, then I'll, I'll lose all the support or this or that. If God's called you, God can resurrect things, God can bring greater favor, and, and the body does respond well to humility and repentance, where you can deal with something and fix it behind closed doors and, and really get things right and move forward. That's always best. But there are other things that, that need to come forward, and when they do, they come forward with—it it may be painful, but the process— Will bring life in the end. Let's uh, grab a call from Chicago, Rob. Thanks for calling the Line of Fire. What's your question today?
1: Uh, yes, yeah, my question. I uh, I worked with Harvest Bible Chapel, James McDonald, that whole situation, and my question is: How is the church supposed to respond when
0: when
2: pastors are disqualified? but then sit out for a season and then seek to return? How how, how
1: do we respond when certain restorative steps have not been taken or or followed?
0: Yeah, important question. Joe, what would you say?
2: Well, I mean, just because the pastor steps down for a season doesn't mean he's been restored. There has to be a body of leaders that we would call a presbytery that determine whether or not there's true repentance, restoration, whether adequate counseling has taken place, and also to interview the spouse and the family, if they have a family, just to see, you know, behind closed doors what they think of this person's repentance. Um, So just taking time off doesn't mean anything. They could take their time off and go to a hotel and look at pornography all day. So, I mean, there has to be a precedent.
0: So in other words, you can receive forgiveness instantaneously, but restoration is a process, just like if you had an injury, right? And and it takes a while for that injury to to heal. And not only that, but elders are called to be above reproach. So if there was something reproachful, if trust was lost, then there has to be a period of of rebuilding that. So restoration is, is possible, but it has to go through a correct process. So you are saying that there can be future. Someone can Commit adultery, confess it, be grieved over it, broken over it, uh, go through a process of of making things right with God and man, and then come to a point of being restored, and perhaps even have a a more blessed and, and broken ministry, humble before the Lord after that. But there has to be a process. So, Joe, would you say that in many cases there is not a setting where there is a Presbytery, where there are leaders that can really oversee a restoration process?
2: It's more the case with independent ministers who don't belong to a network. Um, most networks I know uh, have some kind of presbytery that could be formed immediately throughout their network uh, based on you know uh, leadership maturity and proximity to the person and all that geography. So uh, I would say that most likely there's usually going to be a presbytery that can be formed if it's not already formed. If it's an independent minister, even they could reach out to somebody else that they don't know well, or perhaps they know them well, but they're not part of the same association or or denomination, and they could probably help them as well. So there's so many people they could reach out to for help.
0: Got it. Hey, Rob, thank you for the question. And again, that's where leaders that are trusted have to be trusted. In other words, that people who are known and respected in the body and have good accountable relationships and, and their finances are above board and their, their personal lives are above board, and they've been in ministry for periods of years, that, that they are then trusted to oversee a, a process. If they themselves are corrupt, if the Catholic Church and the priest is corrupt, and then the bishop is corrupt and the cardinal is corrupt, then obviously you have a big problem. Thankfully, there are men and women of God, people of integrity. And, and that's the thing, if, if we want to do things right, then there are right ways to, to do them. And thank you, Rob. So, Joe, one of the things that we sought to model with this coalition of of leaders, a panel of five that came together, and as you know, you were the very first one I contacted uh, when I agreed to to lead this in the Todd Bentley situation, and the goal was to honor the Lord. The, this was not a witch hunt. This was not an exoneration attempt. the The, the whole goal was to honor the Lord, but we were hoping that we could say, hey, this is this is a way for others to do it. In other words, are there leaders in your city that are respected that you can come to and submit a situation, and then they can look at it and and give a ruling or a pattern? So, Joe, we've just got a minute before the break, but in your book, Poisonous Power, uh, what will readers get that will be helpful in this situation?
2: Well, yeah, there's... there's... Uh, chapters dealing with restoration, chapters dealing with um, not only dysfunctional leadership, but functional leadership. And there's a chapter on stand- biblical standards for, um, you know, leadership uh, in an age of scandal. Um, and uh, I just launched a podcast, I'm so excited to say, on your show for the first time. You gave me advice I launched it two days ago called The Joseph Matera Show. We deal with this very subject of, uh, you know, Todd Bentley, the panel, in the process of dealing with these kind of things. Um, and so, yeah, there's, there's a lot that has to be done, but we need to get trusted leaders together and get to formulate processes for our own cities, regions. All
0: right, we come back, we'll, we'll find out how to listen to that. And then I, I want to ask some questions about the so-called NAR, New Apostolic Reformation, Seven Mountains mandate some other controversies with my guest, Dr. Joseph Petara. We are here.
1: It's the line of fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the line of fire now by calling eight six six three four TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks
0: for joining us friends on the Line of Fire broadcast. Accountability, standards and leaders, these things are super important in the sight of God. Leaders lead, leaders have great influence. Bad leaders can bring bad reputation to the name of Jesus. They can hurt other lives, they can drive people away from the Lord. Good leaders can help people grow and become more and more like Jesus. As my guest today, Dr. Joseph Antara has said, we are a family of families. And leaders are leaders within those families as the Lord's representatives. So it's, it's a serious thing. Now, now look, every one of us falls short one way or another. And we go to the Lord for mercy and grace. And then sometimes there are more serious issues that have to be dealt with to the extent everything can be dealt with before the Lord, behind closed doors. Wonderful. Do it where there's repentance, where there's fixing of things. But when there are things that are habits, are patterns, there is no sign of real repentance, that's when the ante gets up, and that's when it is often necessary to take further action. That's what's happened recently. That's what Dr. Matera and I were involved with, with a recent investigation with Todd Bentley. We want God's best for everyone involved, but there are standards in Scripture for a reason. Uh, Joe, you've just started a podcast. How can people listen to it?
2: Yes, It's called The Joseph Matera Show, M A T T E R A, and it's on all the major uh, platforms Spotify, um, I think it's Apple, there's there's several, and all of the major ones have it, and they could just check it out, Uh, just put my name in, and they could find it. So we're really excited about it, and we're launching, uh, we launched already, and we're dealing with the subject, very subject that we're talking about. So, yeah.
0: Excellent. All right, so let's just shift a a little bit. But uh, something very interesting happened. Uh, Last year, I interacted back and forth with with, uh, some authors who had written about the so-called New Apostolic Reformation and raised all these concerns. And I addressed it saying a lot of what you're talking about is mythological, as if there's a coalition of hundreds of millions of Pentecostals, Charismatics around the world that are under some type of unified apostolic vision or leaders. And I said there was something Peter Wagner identified as New Apostolic Reformation, etc. And then, in any case, here you are leading a coalition of apostolic leaders. Interestingly, you ended up in dialogue with some of these very authors. And and last we talked about it, you said the dialogue had been actually very fruitful. Uh, I know there are certain things that... that you might not want to raise or talk about that it may just be between you privately but what was the the result of that what what was the nature of the interaction and how did you basically help each other in terms of your perspectives
2: Yeah well you helped get us together um evidently you had some kind of debate with them on some issue and then I asked you to and you wanted me to look at uh, some of their articles and some of their concerns, and then I emailed you back, and I said, oh, well, I actually agree with them. I think it was Holly Pivick and Doug Gavitt, and um, yep. they wrote a book called The New Apostolic Reformation, I guess, with a question mark, and another one called Super Apostles. And they were concerned with some of the same things I am, that people are using the title apostle, the abusing the title, um, that, uh, you know, my position is apostles more as a function, not a title. Paul didn't say the Apostle Paul, he said Paul, an apostle. Um, so that's huge. Um, they were concerned that people would use their authority to usurp the authority of pastors, and because they're, you know, a so-called apostle, they have the right to order the pastors in their region around, and that very rarely happens, but yeah, it's, it's been done. Um, but I would counter that there's been abuses of evangelists, of prophets, of teachers, that Does that mean that we get rid of the other fivefold ministry gifts? So, why pick on just the apostles? So, there have been abuses of every one of the fivefold ministry gifts listed in Ephesians 4 uh, 12, 11. Um, and uh, that means that we just need to do our homework, see how the Bible functions uh, are, are shown, how are described in, in each of those fivefold ministry gifts. And we need to have honest dialogue and hold each other in check. Basically, it comes down to accountability as well, and also correct teaching and um, being transparent with one another. And when I had that conversation with them, it turned out to be lovely. I mean, we thought it was going to be a half hour. We wound up speaking for three hours our first time on, on the phone together. So, yeah, I have high regard for Doug and Holly and many of their concerns would be my concerns in the United States coalition of Stock leaders.
0: Right, so what what I find interesting was from the critics that you and this coalition were the very culprits. And those are some of the things I was trying to address that that the thing was being misconceived, but the the specific concerns of course are valid. That's what I found so ironic. Here you are leading an organization that that some think is a very epitome of the problem and one of the reasons for your organization is to be able to address these problems. So, in your understanding, because you mentioned apostles apostles a function more than a title, just if if you're teaching on this and people are not familiar with it, because we've got a wide range of listeners and viewers from a wide range of spiritual backgrounds, just go through the fivefold ministry, how you understand how each of these these giftings functions within the body, what the callings are, why they're important. Sure.
2: So Ephesians four eleven lists. Five gifts. These are ministry gifts that are various expressions of Jesus' ministry, as you can see in the four Gospels. So this is basically a component or aspect of how Jesus ministered. So Jesus is called the Apostle of our faith in Hebrews chapter 3. Basically, he called 12 Apostles, not 12 evangelists, not 12 pastors. Apostles generally are people who are pioneers, they're entrepreneurs, they're people who um, take territory, it was used by uh, Rome to depict somebody who is a military general who went out, led ships to conquer territories. So it's somebody who will basically not be comfortable staying in one little church building, but will want to uh, multiply the gospel, multiply disciples, plant churches, start movements, and uh, have networks. Um, That would be a brief summary there. Visionary leaders that are called by God to expand the Gospel. The prophet are people. The prophet is somebody who uh, has a a real deep connection with God, carries God's burden, God's heart, tries to speak into the standards of of the Bible uh, in culture. Um, Not always are they able to build systems and patterns like apostles, but they speak basically the same thing. What an apostle may say, in principle, a prophet may prophesy. That's how we word it. Uh, an evangelist is someone who has a gathering anointing. There's somebody who could, you know, build a large church, but it doesn't mean they know how to make disciples or have systems in place to pastor the people. Um, they would be in the world, in, in, you know, an evangelist, someone with the gift of evangelism, if... If they were using it in the context of, of the world, they'd be the car salesman, the insurance salesman, they're the marketers, the promoters. Um, then you have teachers, teachers are people that could take complex um, concepts, break it down for the average person, and in a way that not only they could understand it, with practical steps of applying the truth that is conveyed. And pastors basically those who have a shepherd's heart. They're not interested as much in expansion, but in maintaining the flock, uh, maintaining what has already been gained from the apostle or the apostolic gift. And uh, their concern is just caring, shepherding, loving, comforting, um, and uh, just, you know, loving on the sheep. So that would be a a fivefold description. I deal with this more exhaustively in my book. Essays on Apostolic Leadership. It's another book I have out. And if someone's interested, especially in understanding the apostolic ministry, I would urge them to get that book, Amazon, or my website, org. All
0: right, so what if you have someone that is really burdened to win the lost, and they go out and they plant a church in a new area, but their their real calling and gifting is to be an evangelist? What happens if that person in our culture and setting— because they planted a church, therefore they're the pastor. Let's say it grows to a few hundred people, they become the, quote, senior pastor of the congregation, but they're real gifting and calling as evangelists. What's going to happen to them? What's going to happen to that congregation?
2: Well, that's a great question. Well, generally, the pastor um, will be frustrated if they try to put him in a mold of visiting everybody in the hospital, holding hands, doing counseling, That pastor, if their primary gift is evangelism, they're just going to constantly want to win souls, advertise, reach out, and those are the ones who build the largest churches in America. Unfortunately, if they're not getting advice from pastors or from uh, apostolic leaders, they won't know how to disciple and maintain the people. So you might have a front door that's big, but you might have a back door that's it's just as large. So you have a lot of growth, but a lot of people come and go. So that is typical of many of the churches um, in America. Some large churches, many of them are seeker-sensitive, as we would call them. Uh, they might have thousands of people, but it doesn't mean that they have thousands of disciples.
0: Mm. All right, so that's why it's so important for people to recognize their callings in God— to recognize their strengths and their weaknesses you often hear leaders say we staff our weaknesses so the goal is for everyone to function in their strength now everyone has to do certain things that that they don't want to do but they, they need to be done I mean that's just reality in, in life and we take the time because we all have to have on some level a Shepherd's heart but if you try to, to put here it, it let's use a business analogy that might help folks there, there's a difference between an entrepreneur starting companies and an accountant that's counting every dollar. And if you put the accountant in charge of developing vision and expansion, uh, or you put the entrepreneur in charge of, of counting dollars, you're going to have two frustrated people and, and two departments that go in the wrong direction. So it's, it's the same thing in the body. And I just want to encourage pastors and leaders, be secure in God. So if you have other gifted people there, if they function in their gifts, then you can better function in your gift. And if you have a real gifted evangelist in your body, then you want to nurture that person, strengthen them in the Lord, then empower them to reach the lost and to lead the congregation in reaching the lost. And then you can be sure that the lost that come in are cared for, nurtured, strengthened, and developed. We come back, I, I want to focus on this one last issue. Insecurity among leaders. My guest, Dr. Joseph Matera, relevant books, poisonous power, and essays on apostolic leadership. We'll be right back.
1: it's the line of fire with your host activist author international speaker and theologian dr michael brown your voice of moral cultural and spiritual revolution get into the line of fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH here again is dr michael brown all
0: right friends just a few more minutes with my friend bishop dr joseph matera and uh, talking about leadership, talking about accountability in ministry. Please join me tonight for a very important Facebook Live chat, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We've got many questions that have been sent in to us. I'm going to address the most relevant ones uh, during the broadcast tonight, but it's going to be a very important talk, 8 p.m. at the Ask Dr. Brown, that's ASKDR Brown Facebook page. Uh, Joe, one thing I, I noticed over the years and and I see it in John, the 13th chapter, patterned by Jesus, that when we are secure in the Lord, we're willing to get low. We're willing to, to humble ourselves. We're excited about others who are gifted and who are anointed. When we're insecure in the Lord, we have to cover up. We have to push others down. Their success is a, is a threat to us. There's even the extreme saying about some that they, they'd rather be number one in hell than number two in heaven. I mean, it's, it's pride, ego issues tied in. And Jesus has no problem washing the disciples' feet because he knows exactly who he is, that he's come from God and returning to God. Uh, over your decades of ministering to leaders, how often have you seen the root of insecurity as, as a big problem? And then how can you help ministers, leaders, believers become secure?
2: Yeah, well, unfortunately many of the uh, many of the things that people are saying God has called them to do is really driven by ambition. Um, people want to have the largest church, the largest building, the most people who could fit in a facility, um and a lot of time it's undealt with insecurities and the root of that has to do with not being affirmed as a child. A lot of people are looking for the affirmation of a Father, and it's interesting that we see in Luke chapter 3 how Jesus never ministered until he heard the voice of the Father say, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. The Father told him that before he healed, before he preached, before he went to the cross and rose from the dead, he went out as an affirmed Son, and that's how he was able to face the devil in the wilderness you have many, many people who are unaffirmed, and they're trying to earn the love of the Father. They're trying to earn the love of God by what they accomplish, and that breeds competition because if I think that by doing great things for God, God's going to love me more, then I'm going to be jealous of the pastor down the block who's building a larger church because I'm going to think God loves him more than me unless I could build a bigger church. But when we receive affirmation before we do anything and we're just uh, our identity is as a child of god not as a, a big church builder and, and we are rooted and grounded in the love of god before we preach before we do anything then we're not out to prove anything we minister because we love god not to earn god's love so i think that's the main uh um, root problem that we have in Many, many, many uh, leaders.
0: Yeah, and we find our identity and what we do, and how people look at us, rather than find our identity in being children of God, sons and daughters of God. Yes, yeah, so so well put. And and these are areas, look, they are people that have mega ministries and that have struggled in these areas. They're they're broken people in other areas for for decades. And that means there's going to be a certain lack of health overall, in and who they are, what they produce. Uh, one of your sons, a few years back, suddenly became a best-selling author, and probably, on a national level, just to the secular world, uh, became better known than you and sold more books than you. Here you were, ministering, serving all these years. How did that make you feel?
2: Oh, man, I was so proud. You know, it's like First John, uh, the in the epistles of John, rather, he said, I have no greater joy than my children walk in the truth. So I am so proud of my biological children, and even my spiritual children. And Jesus said that because I'm going to the Father, the works that I do, you will do greater works than these, because I go to my Father. And so Jesus was already setting us up for a generational blessing where the children that we have will do greater works than us. So I think if we're walking with God and we're secure in God, we'll actually have more joy when our biological and spiritual children do well than when we do well. So I I take great pride in that. I mean, I'm just more thrilled when I see my kids doing better than me than than when I'm doing it.
0: Yeah, and that's, of course, I knew that would be your heart, and we've even talked about that generationally, uh, uh, those perspectives before. But I I wanted people to hear that because it does reveal uh, the insecure heart, the competitive heart, where if we, we could not rejoice in our own physical or spiritual children doing more than us, then that does speak of something very odd and something really lacking. And rather than beating yourself over the head of it, over it, just realize, okay, something's wrong. Father, help me to get to the root of this so I can really have your heart. And it comes from that sense of, of security. Hey, hey, look, if the Father says to you, well done, good and faithful servant, I'm really pleased with you, it's a lot easier for you to encourage others. Hey, go for it, pass me, do better. But if you feel the father is like, no, I don't know about this guy. He's just not doing enough. He's not productive enough. Then you're going to feel threatened by anyone else that's out there. And, and unfortunately, this look ministers, pastors, leaders, whoever they are, whatever the gifting, apostles, prophets, they're just human beings. And human beings can be can be flawed. So, last question for you: In general, if you were to give one word. If every pastor, Christian leader in America was listening to you, and and you could just tell them one thing for their life and ministry, what would it be?
2: I would tell them to keep the main thing the main thing. And as Jesus said to the Church of Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2, he said, you've done all these things, so many great things, and you've not grown weary. You've even tried those who said they were apostles and were not and found them to be liars. liars. But I have one thing against you. You have left your first love. And I would say if we keep God first in our life, then everything that we put second will never be hurt.
0: Yeah, that's those are wise words, and that really says it all. It all comes down to that, the main thing being the main thing, and nothing is important than a personal relationship with God. Hey, what's your website folks can go to to, to just connect with you?
2: Sure. Go to my name, Joseph, and then Matera M A T T E R A dot org, and my team text me right away when I didn't know all the names. The podcast is on Spotify, Google Play, and iTunes, all the major um, you know platforms, and it's called the Joseph Matera Show. That's the new podcast that was launched. The Joseph Matera Show.
0: All right, so friends, you can be among the very first to listen, and this is going to deal specifically. With some of the situations that we've talked about on the air, uh, my friend Dr. Joe Matera will get into more details. And again, the last name is spelled Matera, M A T T E R A. Joe, uh, it's been a joy over these years to get to know you better, to work side by side. I appreciate you, man. And you know, uh, when I took on this assignment, you were the very first person I called. So thanks for standing together and let's believe for great things in the days ahead.
2: Well, I'm very proud of you and highly regard you, and I really believe you're a man of integrity, as well as a scholar. So thank you for being my friend.
0: Hey, we're in this together, man. God bless you, and thanks once more. And the especially relevant books to things we've talked about today, Poisonous Power, and Essays on Apostolic Leadership, but there are others. Check them all out on my friend Joseph Matera's website. And if you're just tuning in late and say, what thing, what did I call him about, Uh Please go to AskDrBrown.org, SDrBrown.org, my website, and look for the panel statement, the leadership panel statement regarding Todd Bentley, and then look for my statement, their consecutive days versus the panel statement, Dr. Matera being one of five panel members, the other being James Gall, Jane Hammond, Don Finto, Harry Jackson, all respected leaders in the body and Uh, some with ministries that go far beyond the Charismatic Church and have been spokesmen or women for many years, so many millions of people that they touch and they reach. So I was so blessed to have them on the panel that I oversaw. You can read the statements. The statements are self-explanatory. And then again, you can join me tonight, 8 p.m., that's Eastern Standard Time, On the Dr. Brown Facebook page, ASKDR Brown. If you're not able to join in, uh, it will be posted as long as everything goes fine technologically. It will be posted immediately when it's finished. You can then watch it. Uh, But I won't be, I, I don't plan on responding to live questions and comments because for days now, in my statement and then in our Facebook posts and elsewhere, we have been soliciting comments. Telling folks, here's the email address, send in your questions, comments. Last I heard, I had a couple dozen of at least more than 10 pages of questions, comments that have come in that I'll review and see what's appropriate for me to answer. But my goal, friends, is to be redemptive. My goal is to minister grace to you and confidence and strength. My goal is to uphold, by God's grace, holy standards. There's a lot of junk swirling around from every side, the anti-charismatic world, the charismatic world, a lot of junk swirling around this whole investigation we were involved in. What we're going to do tonight is rise above that and bring a perspective that I believe will be heavenly, edifying, word-based and helpful so that there'll be clarity and then we can move on together. Tomorrow, I believe your heart's going to be stirred. I'll be speaking with my friend Keith Collins. He carries a great burden for revival in the church, starting with each of us. But we want to talk to you about amazing opportunities with Fire School of Ministry online that you can be part of, a one-of-a-kind school. We'll tell you more about that tomorrow.